Support for the Things Above podcast, hosted by James Brian Smith, comes from the Apprentice Institute for Christian Spiritual Formation at Friends University, whose mission is to provide spiritually transforming educational experiences for churches and individuals seeking a radiant, joyful, Christ-centered life. Learn more by visiting ApprenticeInstitute.org. I'm James Brian Smith. Welcome to the Things About Podcast. You're listening to episode 110. If you missed the pilot episode or this is your first time listening, this is a podcast for what we call Mind Discipleship. It's a podcast for those who want to set their minds on things above, Colossians 3, 1 and 2, where the Apostle Paul encourages us to set our minds on things above. But what does that mean? How do we do it? Setting our mind on good, beautiful, and true thoughts is not easy, and that's why we do the podcast. I do it for me and for you, so that we can set our minds on thoughts that can transform us, so that our hearts will be warmed and we will become an epiphany of grace. Today's thought from above is this. You are wanted by the Trinity. Several years ago, on a Saturday afternoon, there was a knock on my door, and there was a young man. And I opened the door, and we greeted each other, and then he began a discussion that pretty quickly I knew he was from a religion. Like, he, he had an agenda to get me into his religion. And I knew that because he was following a kind of script uh, which I was aware of because I had studied this particular religion and I knew their tactics for proselytizing. And so when he just said a couple of things, I thought, okay, I know which one he's from and I think I know what he's going to do next. And he did the, the thing that I was anticipating. And that is when he found out I was a Christian, he said, so I'm guessing you have a Bible, right? And I said, I, yes, I do. And he said, would you mind getting your Bible? And now so I... I knew I was where he was going with this. So I got it, and I thought, I'm going to see if he does the thing that he's supposed to do next. And he did, and here's what happened. He said, so now as a Christian, you believe in the Trinity, right? And I said, right, yes. He said, well, can you show me where the word Trinity is in the Bible? And this is a, a, a pretty good little tactic because if you try to do it, what you're going to discover is the word Trinity is not in the Bible. And the whole point of this is to get someone to think, oh my gosh, if, if the Trinity is not in the Bible, maybe it's something that was made up. And then that's the next step is to say, well, you know, this was a later development. It took several hundred years to develop this idea of the Trinity, and it's actually a heretical teaching and that sort of thing. Well, I let him get about that far, and then I just said, I, I know where you're going, but here's the thing. The word Trinity isn't in the Bible, but the Trinity is everywhere in the Bible. And when I said that, I think he pretty quickly thought, I don't think I'm going to get this guy converted today. So he left. We parted and I blessed him. But, you know, that's an important thing here to think about because the Trinity is a central teaching of the Christian faith. It's not just a doctrine. It is right at the center of everything that we believe. And 
The young man was right. The word Trinity is not in the Bible, but the Trinity, the members of the Trinity are everywhere in the Bible, particularly within the New Testament. In the most famous passage in the Gospels, John 3, Jesus has this very interesting dialogue with Nicodemus, who is a great teacher of Israel. But he sees in Jesus there's something profound going on with this guy, and I want to know what it is. And Jesus says to Nicodemus in John 3, 5, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. Now, this was very puzzling to Nicodemus. He didn't understand this birth idea. What does Jesus mean? But let me just read that last part again. No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. So what Jesus was teaching there is that we have to have a spiritual birth to enter into the kingdom. And the kingdom, as I've defined it on this podcast, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, is the with God life. It's the rule and reign of God. It's an interactive life with the Trinity. Or as Dallas Willard said, the kingdom of God is being immersed in Trinitarian reality. So, John 3, 5 then makes a great deal of sense when you think, you can't enter the kingdom of God unless you're born of water and the Spirit. Well, what does that mean? Well, everyone's born of water, and that's the water of the womb. That's like when a woman is about to give birth, the water breaks, right? Because that's, we are born of, everybody's born of water. But you have to be born of the Spirit to enter into the kingdom. In other words, the Spirit has to invite you into the kingdom of God, into Trinitarian life. The Spirit is right there in John 3, 5. And then skip down to John three sixteen, the most famous verse in all of the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. That's one you see at football games, at sporting events. John three sixteen. It is a crucial verse, but listen again. For God so loved the world, who's God? Well, that's got to be God the Father, that he gave his only son. So if there's a son, there needs to be then the Father. And so you have within John 3, such an important you know, chapter in all of the Bible, you have the Spirit, and you have the Father, and you have the Son. So yes, the word Trinity is not there, but the Trinity is there. In Romans 8, I love Romans 8. It's one of my favorite passages in, in all of Paul's epistles. But in Romans 8, verses 15 through 17, Paul says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. When we cry, Abba, Father, it's that very Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. So right here in Romans 8, you see those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. And when we cry, Abba, Father, it's the Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we're God's children. And if children, then heirs with Christ. So there it is again, Spirit, Father, Christ. So many passages uh, within the New Testament speak of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. But the Trinity is really difficult to understand. And the reason is, is that there is no analogy that works. St. Patrick, 385 to 461 AD, was the person that we give credit to for converting Ireland way back in his, in his lifetime. A fascinating person in church history. But St. Patrick would often, when he preached, he would pluck a three-leaf clover 
which apparently there were a lot of them in Ireland, but he would pluck a three-leaf clover and say, just as this clover has three leaves but is one clover, so God is three persons but is one God. Now, I think, you know, many of those early hearers went, wow, that's pretty deep stuff, Patrick. Man, okay, that's, that's pretty cool. But the problem is that that metaphor breaks down because there are three parts, yes, three parts to the one leaf, and it is one leaf, but it is still just one leaf. So metaphors and analogies always break down. I'm sure you've heard some of them. Um, another popular analogy for the Trinity is H2O, or water, because it can be liquid, it can be solid in the form of ice, or it can be like a vapor or a mist. And so someone goes, oh, I get it. There, there's ice and water and mist, and yet it's all water. But that's also going to fail. Another popular one is the, the sun. The sun gives off both light and heat, but it is still just one entity. Well, here's the problem. That is, it's, it was deemed a, a heresy back in the 5th century, and it's called modalism, meaning that God appears in three different modes, but it's just the same one God. The problem with that is you have to have three persons, three distinct individual persons, in order for the Trinity to exist, to have relationship. In other words, God, if God is really one in two different modes, there can't be a relationship, so there has to be persons. And that's important. And yet, those three persons are completely, perfectly united. So we just don't have an analogy. Analogies are always going to break down. And that's why the only way you can know about the Trinity is if it's revealed to you. The Trinity is called a mystery. It's one of the two great mysteries of the Christian faith. One is the Incarnation. And the other one is the Trinity. The incarnation is the doctrine that Jesus is fully human and fully God. And again, I've heard some kind of corny analogies or metaphors. One student once said to me, oh, so Jesus, he's kind of like a twist cone. I said, wait, what? He said, you know, like, like you get a twist cone and it's chocolate and vanilla, but it's one cone. I went, no, that's going to break down because, you know, he's not sometimes chocolate and sometimes vanilla or sometimes God and sometimes man. He's fully both. Because it's a mystery. It's bigger than anything we can understand or grasp completely. And we need to keep it at that. And the same with the Trinity. If we're going to know that Jesus is Lord, that he is the Son of God, that he is the only begotten Son of God, fully human, fully God, we're only going to know that by revelation. That's why when, when he said to his disciples, who do, who do you say that I am? And Peter finally stepped up and says, you're the Christ, you're the Son of God. And he said, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but only, only by the Spirit. So we need revelation to understanding something as, as mind-blowing as the Trinity. And I suspect, because you're listening to this podcast, that the Spirit has revealed the Christ to you, has revealed Jesus as the Son of God, and that you have stepped in at some level into a relationship with the Trinity. Because that's what this is really all about. It's about participating in Trinitarian life. So I did a webinar recently, and it was on the Trinity. The moderator asked for questions from the audience, and boy, did they ask a lot of questions about the Trinity. But the very first question was this, to which of the members of the Trinity should we pray? 
to the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit? Hmm. So when you're praying, should you pray to the Father or to Jesus or to the Spirit? My answer is yes. <laughs> yes, you, you can pray, and I do pray, to all of them. And that's because they are one. Yes, they are persons, three persons, but they are one. So that's an example of the, the oneness of God is that we are able to, to pray. I can say, come Holy Spirit. I can say, uh, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. I can say, Abba, Father, I belong to you. Uh, I can do all of those things, and still it's fine because it's the Trinity. It's Trinitarian life that I'm participating in. Okay, so you may be wondering at this point, wow, Jim's given a lot of history. He's given a lot of big words. What's at stake? Like, what, what matters? Does this, does this actually have anything to do with my life? I would say this, understanding the Trinity properly informs us that God wants to be in relationship with us, to be in fellowship with us, to commune with us in love and intimacy. That's what the Trinity says to me. The more and more I learn about the Trinity, the more and more I see that is what it is all about. It is a relationship of love. These persons doing everything to invite you and me into a life with them. One of the most famous passages where it's very clear that the Trinity is obviously front and center is we call it the Great Commission which is Matthew 28, 19. There Jesus commissions his disciples by saying, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So, right there Jesus is telling them, Look, go, go and make apprentices or disciples of, of all nations. And they would do that, right? All, all the nations would come to know Jesus. And then he, that phrase, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, what does baptism mean? Well, certainly baptism, we know what that means in terms of the practice within the church where a person is sprinkled or, or dunked or immersed in a river or in, in whatever mode, but it has to do with, with water, right? Being immersed in some water. But the word baptizo, that's the Greek word for baptism, initially was used and continued to be used for when a person was dyeing clothing. So imagine your blue jeans. Your blue jeans weren't blue until they were put in a blue dye. And, and the image is beautiful because we, we come out of the waters of baptism different. Well, but what's different? What's different is that we are now immersed in Trinitarian reality. That, so when we're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, it isn't so much about the water. The water's not magical. The water is an outward symbol that is, is uh, indicating an inward and spiritual grace. And that grace is that we're now living in fellowship with, that's why Jesus said, the name, and name means authority, the authority of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's where we live. Because the Trinity is much more, as I said earlier, much more than a doctrine. It is a reality. This universe is shot through with Trinitarian reality. And what is that relationship like between the members of the Trinity? Well, I love the old Puritan phrase. They referred to the Trinity as a sweet society. Isn't that lovely? 
a sweet society, because the members of the Trinity are in complete love with one another. Some will say, is there any hierarchy within the Trinity? And I once heard Dallas Willard say, no, there's no hierarchy in the Trinity because the members of the Trinity won't stand for it because they don't need it. It's complete mutual love for one another. There's no need to have sort of someone have to submit because it's just, I mean, you see that Jesus is saying, I just do what I see the Father compelling me to do. And it wasn't like he was you know, being forced. It was the, the members of the Trinity all working together. That's what's so crucial. I said earlier that as I've understood more and more through the years um, what the Trinity is and does, um, the more I have fallen in love, frankly, with the members of the Trinity and or the Trinity itself. And I came across this card that was written by Hans Urs von Balthasar to his friend Peter Leithart. And in that card, Balthasar says, a Trinitarian ontology of love implies an epistemology of love, for reality is known only to lovers. Now that's full of big words like ontology and epistemology, but basically what, what Balthazar was saying is, the more the Trinity reveals itself to us, the more we love the Trinity. And the more we love the Trinity, the more we know. That's what he's getting at, that this idea that it's known only by love. So the Holy Spirit reveals something of the Trinity to us. Like, let's say that Jesus is Lord. I remember distinctly when that reality became something important for me. And I went, wow, God must really love me if, back to John 3.16, God gave his only begotten son. That's amazing. And the, the head of the Spirit revealed that to me. And then as the years go on, the more I understand the incarnation that Jesus became one of us, the more I understand how the Holy Spirit descended on the church at Pentecost and unites the church and builds the church today. The more I, I understand what the Trinity is and does, the more I love the Trinity. And the more I love the Trinity, the more I know. Well, I want to close with a, a powerful quote from the good Dr. Dallas Willard, who wrote this. The advantage of believing in the Trinity is not that we get an A from God for knowing the right answer. The advantage of believing in the Trinity is that we then live as if the Trinity is real, as if the cosmos around us is actually, beyond all else, a community of unspeakably magnificent personal beings of boundless love, knowledge, and power. Boundless love, knowledge, and power. That is what is at stake, because the Trinity wants a relationship with you. How do I know that I'm forgiven, the Trinity. How do I know that God loves me? The Trinity. Everything essential that your soul longs to know, the Trinity is the answer. That's because the Trinity wants a relationship with you. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. I hope you join me next week for a Things Above conversation with Dorothy Greco. Until then, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at James Ryan Smith. And you can learn more about this podcast. And also, if you'd like to donate to the Things Above podcast, you can do so on our website, ApprenticeInstitute.org. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with a friend. And you can also subscribe, which means you'll get them automatically each week. My hope, as always, is that one day if you're asked, what's on your mind? Your answer will be, 
things above.